What's going on? Welcome to the Barbecue Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Big Dan, I'm here with Messy and Mike, and we are ready to talk about barbecue, life, family, sports, whatever comes up. Let's get going. Here we are for episode 7. We are very excited to have Jess Pryles, the hardcore carnivore, with us on the show today. Jess is a live fire cook, author, meat expert, content creator, seasoning developer. She does it all. Messy Mike and I had a chance to sit down with Jess and discuss all things meat. Favorite cuts, favorite recipes, seasonings, cooking methods, as well as discussing life on social media, recipe development, and more. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Here we go. All right. Hi. Look at that. She looks professional. What's up, Jess? What's going on? Nothing much. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Um, Thank you guys for inviting me. So basically, it's um, it's called Barbecue Happy Hour. Um, you know, kind of laid back. Um, it's not live. We'll we'll edit it later on. Um, but we're basically just here, kind of, you know, shooting the shit. Um, you know, having a good time. So very laid back. Sounds and, great. Uh, I I just regret not having a drink, but it's Monday. <laughs> <laughs> nope, no worries, no worries. But I do have to show you this quick. So I met you years ago at the american royal i remember and that's and that's the business card you gave me i remember your sauce very well because i think you either had you either had sarsaparilla or root beer in there yep and i was really impressed that you had that as an ingredient <laughs> yep yep See? so dan hey, welcome He's in Pennsylvania. He owns um, Big Dan's Barbecue. Awesome. Mike and I have uh, gotten to know each other over the years through the National Barbecue Association. And uh, a couple years ago, he was doing a podcast and finished up with that. And he said, we should do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And it took a while to get there, but uh, we started it a few weeks ago and have had a good time doing it. And uh, we're glad to, that you joined us. So. I love the name. I think it's awesome. Like it really sets the tone. So thank you. Well, there's, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there that, that, and if you want to share this, that's fine. But you know, people talking about the details of a certain recipe or how they do this or that. And, uh, our whole thing is more just get to know you, you know, get to know Jess and the barbecue world that she's a part of and, and how you, uh, how you got there and what you're doing now and whatever else comes up, we'll, uh, kind of roll with it. So no real scripted things. We just, Get to know our guests, okay. so hopefully have a fun conversation. Yeah, and and according to Google, <laughs> Jess is, uh, you're one of the wealthiest chefs coming out of Australia, according to Google. <laughs> I, I certainly would like to see that, quite frankly. <laughs> and I'd like to know where they get their metrics from. <laughs> <laughs> So Jess, um, you know, I met you at the, at the Royal, um, you know, you were, you're from Australia, you're living in Texas now. Um, you know, you, you got so much going on, um, with hardcore carnivore, you know, you got the, the spices, you got, um, you know, the, the knives, the cutlery, um, you know, one, how did you get involved in this? What brought you to this, um, level and, you know, how did you come up with with your spice 
um, you know, ingredients and all this stuff? I basically got involved because of a trip to Texas. So when you come to Texas, first of all, Australians love to travel. So we end up all over the world. And, and when you go to Texas, one of the big tourism requirements is that you eat barbecue. I mean, for you and your listeners, it's probably a no brainer, but honestly, it's just a thing for everyone to do. And, and, you know, just outside of Austin is a town called Lockhart, which is the official barbecue capital of Texas. And you kind of go there and eat at all three joints in one day. And it's really cool. And I remember having that first taste of barbecue and just like mind blowing because we didn't have anything like that in Australia at the time. And literally off the back of that one eating experience and wanted to then eat more barbecue, I got curious about how it was made and kind of like just opened up this world into grilling and live fire and smoking. And I went out and bought a charcoal grill and just started cooking and bought an offset smoker and started cooking and tried to figure out why a brisket in Australia was not like a brisket in Texas. And then that led to a whole world of <laughs> discovering about meat and butchery and cuts. And um, I was traveling back and forth to Texas. I sort of, you know, had friends here and, and meet, met new people every time I came over and just fell in love with it. So I kept coming back and forth, but I was sort of becoming this barbecue missionary in Australia. So as barbecue grew, everyone was looking to me for like, what's happening in Texas? And what are you learning? And what are you doing? And we was, uh, I co-founded with two other guys, the first like barbecue sanctioning body in Australia, because we didn't have anything like that at the time. And eventually um, I decided that it was time to move because Australia is a very little pond. Um, the whole population of Australia is smaller than Texas. So I moved oh, wow. over here okay. I didn't know that. Uh, and uh, just started, you know, I was just sharing recipes online and building this online following and had funny ideas for t-shirts. So I kind of started this online store and then I was like, oh, t-shirts are all very well and fun, but how can I make people understand the way that I think seasoning should taste? And I had an idea for this black charcoal rub because charcoal was starting to be an ingredient that was used like in a lot of health foods at the time, like black shakes and things like that. And I love the idea of it because one of the biggest, one of the biggest things for me when I was starting was, you know, how to build a good steak crust. I think that's one of the hardest things for people when they very, very first start to, to get into meat cookery. And I love the idea that this was, this was sort of meat cosmetics. So I came out with a black rub <laughs> with no intentions of, you know, growing it into an empire. And here we are uh, seven years later, six years later, seven years, sometime. It's a, it's a while. And we have nine seasonings in the line now. We have our own knives. We have our own disposable cutting boards that we brought to market, butcher's paper. I, I call it tools for serious meat enthusiasts <laughs> that's perfect so uh we've got a cool like a pitmaster log book that we developed with that has it's made from stone paper it's literally made out of limestone so it's like blood proof and grease proof and sweat proof pretty much exactly what you'd want your barbecue notebook to be made out of wow that's smart that's cool so yeah huh. just keep adding stuff that i like to use in my own kitchen and the spices i guess sorry i'm giving you the super long answer but I literally stand <laughs> in my kitchen for every formula we have with raw seasonings and put together the mixes that I think taste good. That's still how we develop them to, to this day. Wow. That's awesome. And you have, um, yeah, so uh, I don't want to sound weird, but um, 
I think I might have sent you a message too, but one night uh, my wife watches Teen Mom. <laughs> so um, we were watching Teen Mom one night, and all of a sudden uh, one of the one of the episodes there was um, one of the dads was wearing um, a hardcore carnivore T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that that has to be Randy Hauska. He is yep. he is a huge hardcore carnivore fan. I've never like I'm not a Teen Mom watcher. I'm a 90 Day Fiance watcher. But okay, <laughs> a different level of depravity, you know. But uh, he uh, he's a huge fan of ours, and we, like he's never asked for a free thing. Like he just loves the product, and we appreciate it. That's awesome. So I I was looking at your YouTube page a little bit earlier. Is there a new product line on the horizon? With uh, you said uh, butters, butter. but with the beef tallow butter, <laughs> <laughs> the body, the body. Did you see that, Mike? At all? I did. It's a it's a body butter made with beef tallow. Yep. I don't think that there's a one on the horizon, but I, okay. I welcome anyone <laughs> trying the recipe in their own home. My husband has that jar. If anyone who's you know wondering what the hell we're talking about, you can make your own body butter at home using beef fat. Um, and he's still using that jar from the video. He won't. He'll probably hate that I admitted that he. Listen, he gets dry in the summer on his arms. Okay. Sure. <laughs> That was really cool. I would I would have never uh, never thought about that, but that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's, what's really interesting is the formulation of the fat is very similar to the sebum in our skin. So you would think that it would be really greasy, but it, it does somehow just blend in and hydrate and, and not feel awful at the end, which is impressive. I'll have to get some from my head. Yeah. You should. <laughs> I'll have to put an SPF in there for you, though, too, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah, I need that. Dan, Dan's feeling awkward because he's the only one on the podcast tonight that doesn't have an accent. I know. So. I know. We've got Mike from New England. We've got Jess, who's the Australian Texan, and I'm just this uh, Midwestern, no accent, no – I don't say things funny in any way. So, yeah, it's kind of uh, – I'll be the boring one to listen to, I guess, today. <laughs> the baseline. Yeah. Important. So, Jess, how did you – um? So how did you start doing classes as well? Because you do a, you do a ton of classes um, at the what the Beef Institute. Yeah, I usually host my classes in Austin at the Texas Beef Council, just because they've got an amazing facility for teaching classes, like with the proper mm -hmm. mirrors and everything, and we can get up to forty people per per class. I just kind of backed off a little bit. Um, I'm really enjoying creating content that can reach more people. The stuff obviously that I can put online is much more accessible than coming to a class. I'm sure I will do more before the end of the year, but I'm also finishing off a college course at the moment too, which has taken <laughs> like I needed, you know, something else to do with my time. Um, <laughs> more on your plate. That, uh, that's, that's probably, I'm, yeah, I, I've just got a lot on my plate, so I'm enjoying all of it, but I'm trying to tick one thing off before I add one more thing to it. So I had a question. You, you, uh, you're like a, a beef expert, right? You've, you've butchered them, you've slaughtered them, you've done the whole, the whole process, soup to nuts. What is your favorite cut of beef? I, if you were to just say, all right, I have to have this one cut, like that's the only one I get for. I don't want to say the rest of your life. Let's say for a month or whatever the period is. What is the absolute go-to? Okay. So if you were going to make me eat it for a whole month, I would probably choose top sirloin because there's strategy here, right? If you had just said, what's your death row meal, it would be a ribeye. Okay. With really good okay. bread and butter, like sourdough. 
That's a good question. The death row meal. I'll have to write that down for, for future guests. I like that. The death row meal. I have to eat it every day for a month. It's going to be top sirloin because it's leaner, but still beefy. So you're not going to get that fatigue. Because I don't know. Yeah. Let me switch the tables real quick. Like, could y'all eat brisket or ribeye every single day? No. We'd go into comatose. <laughs> yeah, no, I... We're only open Wednesday through Saturday. I would eat it Wednesday through Saturday for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, I don't. Uh, although we do take leftovers home, and everybody knows that I don't eat barbecue. So it's just I, I I'm not ashamed as a as someone who does eat meat seven days a week to say that it would be a little too much to eat. Yeah. So I love top sirloin because it's great cuts, got a great texture, sure. nice and beefy. Um, both top sirloin like baseball steaks and top sirloin cap or picanha sometimes called. I love yep. terrace major. It's this kind of secret little cut out of the shoulder that's very, very tender. Uh, it's like it's shaped like a sort of mini tenderloin. It's a little harder to get though. Unfortunately, you know, the whole meat industry is supply and demand. So um, it's possible that there are smaller butchers on the grocery store level that don't even know what that cut is because if they're not taught to cut it out or, or people don't ask for it and they've never been taught what it is, they just won't know. Um, flat iron is another great one that you shouldn't sleep on. Like just, just these, mm -hmm. and that and outside skirt, they're probably my favorites. Okay. And ribeye, obviously. Well, sure. Ribeye is the go-to. What, what is the, I love a flank steak. That's really? my personal That's favorite. favorite. Really? <laughs> We can't be friends. Like no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's what that? Like? I just, I, so I, every time I cook it, I grill it and I make a chimichurri uh -huh. sauce with cilantro and garlic and all that stuff. And uh, I don't know. I just, I like the flavor of it. It's, it's, I don't know. I think it's got a good beefy flavor and I like it with the chimichurri and I don't know. It's just kind of something that I just salt and pepper and, and that's it. And my kids uh, love it. You know, it's kind of a. No marinade. Nope. Salt and pepper. I grill it just about medium, maybe a little bit under because the ends are going to get a little more done, but the middle is going to be nice and juicy. And uh, I slice it up in real thin slices and we just kind of dip it, put it on some bread with some chimichurri. And um, I think it's fantastic. But I can see that. I think if you sliced it thinly enough, I just yeah. like I always choose a skirt steak over a plank personally. Yeah. What's... Without, without getting into too many details of the biology, what's the difference? Like as far as the cut, where they come from? It's mainly where, so they have the, the worst part is that they name them the worst thing. So the outside skirt comes from the inside, <laughs> comes from inside the, okay. the diaphragm and the inside skirt comes from near kind of like continues on from the tri-tip kind of thing. Uh, okay. But they're, but they're different tenderness. So the outside skirt is significantly more tender. Like there's a test that you can do to measure the tenderness of beef and we know that it's a more tender muscle. It's tasty. But that, so the problem is we talked about like cuts that people can't get, like Terrace Major. Food servers yeah. have access to certain cuts that like grocery stores don't or people shopping in grocery stores don't. So most outside skirt steaks are uh, gobbled up by food service for Mexican restaurants to make their fajitas. Um, yeah. And it's very, very difficult to find. And it's more per pound than, than inside skirt, but it's difficult to find at the grocery store level. 
And that's a really hard thing, honestly, to be a kind of creator these days and know about these cuts and everyone's asking you, share the great cuts and tell me your secrets and what's good value for money. But it's kind of an, an asshole thing to talk about a cut that people can't get their hands on, you know? It's nearly like doing <laughs> the big deep right. shins. They look great, but, you know, most people don't have access to those. Yeah. We just talked about that last week. Somebody had showed me a video of it. They called it Thor's Hammer. <laughs> It was this big chunk with a with a bone on top, and uh, the one the girl that works for me, she goes, "You should do these." I go, "I don't even know where I would get beef shins that have that on it." I mean, I looked at our food supplier; they sell something, but it's more like a steak, like they cut them into steaks. So, you can order so, whole beef shin, and it'll you don't even need to trim it; it'll shrink while you cook it to expose the bone. Okay, and it just it turns into this like mallet looking thing. The good news is, if you want to check it, Dan JessPriles.com has a recipe for you um okay but it it they they pull really nicely and they have a lot of connective tissue so they i mean great cut for smoking honestly and it's very impressive you can kind of make it like the you know the like serves four to eight people eight dollars yeah. you have to order it whole kind of thing you know like when they right. started bringing right. all the into restaurants now what was that what was that cut of meat that you said um would be one of your favorites, but very rarely can you get it. Terrace Major, T E R E. Yeah. So. Yeah. How would you? What's What's the best thing to do with that, like cook wise? Just grill it. It's like a. It's extremely tender. It's like a baby tenderloin, but it's got more flavor than a tenderloin. So it's okay. shaped the same, like a little cylinder. So I just grill it hot and fast into like beautiful, cut it into beautiful little medallions and where you. Huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Really nice. good. Now, we we look at you as a celebrity. You probably don't look at yourself as a celebrity because, <laughs> you know, again, you're doing what you love. Um, looking at your Instagram, you have 150,000 followers on your Instagram. That's nothing How does... I feel like an old dinosaur compared. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, have, I have like 3,500. <laughs> you know, like um, when you when – you, post something i mean does it make you nervous because you just you want to post the right thing like when we try and post stuff on facebook it takes us like an hour to an hour and a half just to post something because we want to make sure that you know we're hitting the right people it's perfect and you know it's it's getting our message out there are you talking about literally crafting the caption yeah just you know having one hundred fifty thousand followers like everything you do is being looked at by that many people do you you know do you do you make sure everything is perfect that goes out or are you at the point where you're just like, you know what, whatever. I try. I'm just going to send it out there. Yeah. I'm definitely at the whatever point now I was at the perfect point. And now the nature of the beast is it requires so much content and needs so much feeding because I cross post. On, yeah. I mean, I'm on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and I cross post on all of them and they're designed to like feed me, see more, you know, feed me, feed me content, content. Yeah. And so especially now with the introduction of TikTok, things got much more casual and I stopped caring like if I was wearing makeup in the videos or not. And that's just, that's just a personal thing. You know, y'all, you know, Mike, you're married, you know how it is. Like women just like looking nice. But then I realized like I can't do that all the time and produce content all the time. So I kind of stopped caring. And the nice part is I can just be me now and not worry about it as much. The crappy part is right. that the pendulum has swung on social media so far the other way 
that you actually go viral now or get rewarded for doing worse jobs. So I know people who purposefully make mistakes or pronounce things incorrectly or spell things incorrectly because that's what will make your video go viral because people just want to correct you, which is really sad and not in the spirit of why we do things. Um, I posted a video the other day of an Aussie burger, um, which is a little bit contentious. A classic Aussie burger always has canned beets and a fried egg in it and pineapple usually too, canned pineapple. But the most contentious part for people, because it had pretty good distribution, was where I put the cheese in the burger. Like it wasn't about the recipe. It wasn't about how good it looked. It was people weighing in and their opinion of like where it should have gone in the stack. So it's a little bit disheartening when you know that all you need to do is say or do something controversial to actually have a lot of eyes on it rather than cook something that's really great. That part sucks. Right. Yeah. I feel like that is, I feel like that would be a short term win. You know, you'd get a lot of short term eyes on it, but continually producing good content that people are going to want to come back to is kind of the long haul, which seems like what you've done. I mean, you've been making videos on YouTube and everything else that have lots of views that are very educational and informational. So <clears throat> while, while a, a fluke mistake may get seen by, you know, several hundred thousand people, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily going to come back and go, Oh, let me search up Jess Prowse and see what she has to say about this. They're going to go, ah, they're going to pass it on, but you've been producing consistent, good, interesting, informational content. So while it may not, one specific post may not be seen by as many, the overall arc is going to continue to increase. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And the other thing is like you, when you post that much, you have to live with yourself in the morning, you know? So there are things sometimes that I post just because it gives me a mental break and it's just my sense of humor, like, you know, a Top Gun parody or something like that, just because I'll... <laughs> I think it's funny and I want to share it. And then, but, but on the whole sharing, I share recipes, I share meat myth busting and I share a lot of meat science stuff, which is what I'm doing at Iowa state right now because I, I feel like I want to contribute something useful to the internet. If I'm going to be on there, you know, I don't just want to do a, a deep fried whole accordion pork belly or something like that like i get that that's an entertainment value but it just it doesn't doesn't serve anything except entertainment so if i can help people in their own kitchens it's a bit more rewarding and fulfilling ultimately which is why that's most of the content that i make how's chris how's chris adapting to uh you know i don't know how you guys met but um you know is he on board. I mean, I know that he's not in, you know, a lot of your stuff. Um, you know, does he, does he mind? Is there ever a time where he's like, you know, Jess, can you get off the phone or can, you know, can you, <laughs> can you just chill out for a little bit? No, he get he understands like he knew when he met me that it was going to be kind of a weird little ride for him. Um, and, and he ended up, you know, we ended up giving him his own, Instagram profile, like, or he created one <laughs> called Well-Fed Chris so that I had something to tag. I was like, I, babe, I'm happy to tag you, you know, but you, you need an account. Um, 
You know, I think for how good he eats, he, he just does okay with it. I try not to be on my phone constantly. I try, you know, I, I try and have some kind of, you know, boundaries or restrictions or limitations, but, um, you know, fun. He, we, we've traveled to great places together. We've met great people. You know, the barbecue world is just full of great people, and he's been immersed in it. He's a Texan. He grew up in Texas and always ate barbecue, but he didn't know the world of it. You know, I remember taking him to Memphis in May for the first time, and he just, everyone's so nice. And, <laughs> that, you know, he's really, he's really enjoyed it. He's also, in the last two years, grown the world's greatest mustache, and I feel like people are so <laughs> on board for seeing that, that it kind of works too. Nice. Yeah, there. I mean, so I got into barbecue because uh, I bought a smoker with um, I bought a Meadow Creek three thousand pound like trailer smoker with my wedding money, and I knew nothing about smoking, nothing about you know any of that stuff. I just figured buy a smoker, no idea. So my wife said, you know, what the heck did you do? And told her. So she sent me to Texas. Um, <laughs> to my first MBBQA event. Uh -huh. So going there, you know, I wasn't, you know, messy Mike at the time. I was just a regular guy. Just Mike. I was an electrician at the time. And um, it was the best time I've ever had by myself. The people were just so nice, so inviting. Um, you know, they brought you into their circles. They invited you on their trailers, stuff like that. And it was like, once I did that, I didn't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, it's, it's the best community I've ever been involved in in my life. Yeah, it is. And and you know, and and not just about the people, but at the end of the day we all get to like come together around all this amazing food, which is really something as well, I think. Yep. And I met Dan. I wouldn't have met Dan if I didn't, you know. That's right. That never happened to me. See? Or you, you know. Yeah, right. It's crazy. So do you um do you so being from Australia, do you participate in a lot of meat stocks? Yes. Yeah, so Jay Beaumont, who founded Meatstock, is one of the guys who I founded mm -hmm. the Australasian Barbecue Alliance with. And he's one of my oldest, dearest friends. He's also actually an amazing videographer. So he filmed a lot of my old videos on YouTube that you see were filmed in Australia. Um, and I was at nearly every Meatstock when they started. And then pre-COVID would try and go back to at least one a year. I was actually at the Auckland one in early in February 2020. Uh, and then there is a plan to go next year back to another one too. Okay. What can you kind of describe what a meat stock kind of is? Because um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people around here, uh, you know, we have barbecue competitions, stuff like that, yeah. but we don't, you know, I don't think we know what meat stock is that's been going on for a long time and it's pretty big. Yeah, and the cool part about meat stock is Jay really managed to have all aspects of it come together. So a lot of the times if people don't know, and a lot and a lot of people don't know, if you think, oh yeah, barbecue competition, yeah, I make ribs in my backyard that are really good. And then you go and you're like, what do you mean it has to fit in these boxes? What do you mean that it's spicy, <laughs> you know? So not everyone understands it. The cool thing about Meastock is there's a barbecue competition element. So you get to walk around and watch the teams and there is, there is a competition built into it, but that's not the be all and end all. There's also food vendors. So then you've got the barbecue restaurants can actually come and feed people. Cause obviously the competition teams are not going to feed the public. 
Then there's a music mm-hmm. festival component. So there are bands that play all day, the stock part of it, I guess. And then there's a stage with demos all day long too. So you've got grilling demos and butchery demos. And then Jay actually launched Butcher Wars as part of Meatstock. And now it's taken off as its own thing where like there are several rounds of butchers getting up on stage with like a half pig or a lamb saddle and butchering live in front of people in terms of not just breaking it down, but coming up with these incredible displays of the final final meat. And then there are there's sort of a, a trade show-ish component. So there's like vendors and and you know places to buy seasonings and fun things like that. So it's kind of like an immersive pop-up meet Disneyland with concert, I guess you would say. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. That's a great description. So what's it like? Uh, like a four, like a four-day event, three-day event? No, it's one. It's just one day. So it's like the oh, wow. competition starts. I'm pretty sure it's one day. I didn't think it was Saturday, Sunday because I think everyone would die. Maybe two days. Maybe it's Saturday, Sunday. But I think I thought that it used to be like the barbecue competition would start on a Friday night and then they'd hand in on Saturday. So it's sort of my. But the public day is. Just one. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. It might be a two-day event now. Wow. We might have to go. That sounds like a good time. I think you should. Every American who's been just thinks it's the bee's knees. What time of year is it? Uh, They've got three. There's one in Sydney, one in Melbourne, and we just introduced one in Toowoomba. And there's usually one in Auckland too. I don't know if they're doing that again anymore with the restrictions. But there's one in March, one in April, and I think one in May. They They just had them this year. Just finished them. Okay. Now, when you um, when you're not barbecuing and talking about barbecue, which is probably pretty impossible, <laughs> um, you know, what what do you like to do? What do you like to eat other than you know barbecue, meat, stuff like that? Um, you know, what do you do for fun? I like. Let me tackle that in two parts. So my work is fun, and everything revolves around food. So when Chris and I plan trips, it's like food-based tourism. So what do we want to go see? But where are we going to eat when we're there? Like it's a big important part of it, you know. I really like eating. I love going to a classic steakhouse, like a high-end white tablecloth steakhouse, getting a good blue cheese olive martini, you know, and seeing. I just I love that experience. I think it's a classic. Americana restaurant experience and I also like eating at sort of more innovative like cool funky young chef places mainly because I feel like if I I ate only at barbecue joints as much as I would you know love eating barbecue you don't have much bandwidth for inspiration and you could end up potentially copying someone but if you are eating a broad gamut of of different cuisines and styles you can see how other brilliant minds kind of put foods and flavors and ingredients together and then take inspiration from that and put it somewhere completely differently. So I love, like, I love going out to dinner. I love eating at, you know, new restaurants and top chef restaurants and things like that. Um, but I love a, a, a good greasy spoon diner too. You know, like it, it really runs, <laughs> it runs the whole way because it's it's just it's some of it is like respecting the classics and then others sort of inspired by new ways to use old ingredients 
So are you just constantly looking at foods and thinking of how can I make that into something else? What kind of beef can I pair that with? What can I do with this seasoning or this cuisine or this whatever? Just is your brain just always thinking about what can you do with the next cut of meat or the next recipe or the next thing that you want to focus on? And then how do you do you have a journal that you keep track of these things in or do you just have a really good memory? I have, I have a notes app on my phone um, that I kind of use to sort of pop down ideas. and. I do too, but I never use it. <laughs> <laughs> See if I can like extrapolate them into something bigger. But I, it, it's funny you say that. So I do always think about that. And I also have like, I work with brands directly to make recipes for them. So I'll work with Kingsford and PK and, you know, they all want grilling recipes. So there's another challenge of, you know, it's got to be something new. It's got to be something different. It's got to be something that I've never made before on the grill and it's got to be innovative. How do I do that? So that's one of the drivers for keeping things moving. Um, and, and then, you know, you never know when an, I'm not currently working on a new book, but I've kind of got one hanging around in the ether in the back of my brain. And then you, Dan is weird because you're wanting to like save recipes for that, but you also have to release recipes here, but you also want to keep some for Hardcore Carnivore and then you want to keep some for the website. And then at the end of the day, the biggest thing of all is that every year when summer rolls around and Memorial Day grilling season rolls around, you know, or Christmas or Thanksgiving, you're not supposed to try and reinvent the wheel. You know, people just want to know how to cook a tomahawk, how to make the best burger, how to make a good hot dog, how to cook the perfect turkey. So every year it's also important, I think, to just remind people how to do the classics at certain at certain times of the year too. Well, if, if you're... And you, and you heard it here first, Jess Browse is going to have a new cookbook coming out soon. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, soon is a relative term. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's, it's good because, you, you know, I think you've established uh, the reputation of being somebody who knows what they're talking about. So... If I'm looking up how to cook a turkey and I see Jess Pryles, Hardcore Carnivore, here's the best way to do a standard, good old-fashioned, normal turkey, I'm going to go, oh, well, she probably does what she's talking about. And a large majority of people are just, they want something simple. They don't want to try to, you know, go too crazy with something. So they're looking for a very simple recipe. And then once they master that, then maybe they're going to try some things that are a little more risky but um yeah so i think it's good to have that balance of putting some basics out there that uh it's amazing how people don't know the basics you know definitely and that that's a you know you talked about the long play that's a lot of hard work as well and and without sounding like an asshole it's a lot of integrity too because it's important to me that that stuff is right and if you look at like one of my favorite cookbooks is the american's test kitchen cookbook because I love that they went in and they tried so many variables. It's not as like totally crazy as uh, modern cuisine, modernist cuisine, where they're getting like really obsessed with it. But you know that they've tried all the variables, they've cooked it on every rack of the oven to see which one works. They apply logic, they apply science, and there's really good basics. Um, have you ever, you've seen that show on PBS, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, or, or Cook's Country, they're all sort of all the same. So I love that approach to it, but I also think I appreciate very much you saying that actually, because I I also feel like in this day and age with like 
to someone like let's say Tuffy Stone, who's a legend, who wrote the foreword to my first book, who I'm friends with. I he's the professor. He's incredible. He's the next generation above me, so because he was on Barbecue Pitmasters, and you know he doesn't have a huge social media profile, but he's one of the most prolific people in barbecue, and I think that's quite telling about how it can be a little off. The people who in our real world are, are respected versus the people who sort of only live on this app, and one of the things that I've noticed, and I wonder if y'all have seen the same especially like in hyperdrive in the past two or three years is as more people can become influencers or try to become creators uh it's that again you take into account that churn and burn got to keep creating the content and i feel like there are a lot of recipes out there that can really fail because they only want to hit it once hit it hard get it out there then move on to the next thing rather than actually do what let's say a Tuffy or an America's Test Kitchen will do and do it again and again and again and actually test it and make sure that it works. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I think that that started to happen with the rise of food blogs, that it was so much about writing it in the right way and having the right pictures on there and having the right SEO. And I know when I've cooked recipes before, I, I'm not a chef, I'm a cook. So I look up recipes sometimes for, for other side dishes or something, and I'm quite shocked by the failure rate of something that's ranked quite high in Google. Have you guys ever had that experience? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you look at something Google. and you try it, and it just, I don't know if it's, <clears throat> I don't know if people are, are paying for reviews or if they're, you know, if they're just not legitimate, but you, you follow something and you go, this just, or, I, or sometimes you can read it and, you can tell without even making it that it's not something that I'm going to, that I'm going to want to eat. So, um, if you can get to it, so full transparency, I have not been on your website and looked at many of your recipes, but if I do, am I going to have to scroll through pages and pages and pages of your, uh, history of how you grew up? And this is a recipe that my grandma used to make. And then finally at the bottom, I actually find the recipe or is it like, pretty close to the top that I can go, Oh, Hey, this is how Jess makes mashed potatoes. I'm going to click on that and get I it. I love it. So it's pretty close to the top, but it's funny you say that because that's Good. kind of exactly what I was referencing, which is, you know, there's so much work that people don't realize goes into it. So you can be a full-time creator just on TikTok and not worry about the rest of them, or you can be yeah. just on Instagram, like as your primary or you can be a, a blogger as a primary. And like the reason that they go into all of those spiels is because SEO and Google has told them that the more preamble that they put in and the more H2 subject lines they put in, like that's why it looks formulaic. And they're like, why do you cook a prime rib? The reason you cook a prime rib, how to choose a prime rib. The way you choose a prime rib it's because that's what Google has told them works. So they do it and then it ends up as this big disingenuous page just trying to kind of catch traffic. And so for better or worse, you know, I, my site ranks pretty well, but I kind of just stopped like I, I can't, I can't, I can't film videos and film reels and do food photography and sit down and write SEO and run a company and you know something had to fall by the wayside so yeah the recipes are up high <laughs> well i think i think that's the same 
I mean, I have the same philosophy in our restaurant here. Um, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it simply mm-hmm. and repeatable and good quality. And over time, more people will come. They'll like it. They'll tell their friends. They'll bring their friends. It'll continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, I like to use the example, you know, you can, you can grow and you can, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a social media, business, whatever you, the business is, it's like, it's like stretching silly putty. You know, if you, if you try to go too fast, it just snaps. But if you take your time and stretch, it might get a little thin. It might get a little, you know, hard to, you can see through it, but it's still intact and you can continue to stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. So that's been my philosophy for our business. And it sounds like that's similar to what you're doing. Just continue to kind of grow a little bit at a time, continue to produce quality content, quality recipes. You've established yourself as a, an expert in the field. And so, yeah, you may not get a, a, a viral video here or there, but you're going to have that continued growth and people are going to go, they're going to know what they're getting when they go to your site, which I think is fantastic. Well, thank you. It, it, I think the only other thing that's a little bit of a challenge when you do all that is I posted about this the other day on Memorial day, you know, like I just wanted to have Memorial day with my family and I just wanted to cook something pretty unassuming and not over the top spectacular. Cause especially when we develop, like when I develop recipes for Thanksgiving, we're already cooking them in September, October to get ready to post them in November, especially for, again, clients that want us to get those recipes ready. So by the time we hit Thanksgiving, I've cooked at least two turkeys and possibly a turkey breast as well. And like, I'm, I'm out on turkey now, you know? And, and so Memorial Day, I just wanted to do smash burgers and a potato salad and something, something, and like poppers that I bought from the store. And I was just like, you know, I, I can't fake putting on this big extravaganza just for the grands kind of thing, you know? So that's something also, I think as I get older and more tired and more like, get off my lawn. I just, <laughs> just more real. Here's my pack of all beef hot dogs that I'm cooking today. All right. Enjoy it. That's it. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Yep. Now what's, what's your, um, what's your, favorite recipe to cook that you've created oh my gosh that's such a good question and i don't even know the answer uh i really don't know i sometimes it's it's less of a recipe and more of a technique my husband asked me to cook my smoked meatloaf all the time i hate meatloaf he loves it there's tex-mex meatballs that i've made that are really good and because instead of like usually in a in a meatball you'll soak breadcrumbs in milk and add them in to keep mm-hmm. things moist. And we, I did that moist. except with crushed tortilla chips. So you get this amazing like corn flavor and it keeps things moist. Huh. So those have been kind of fun. And But really it's about, it's, it's more the technique. So like just, it's so simple, but knowing that you can cook a perfect steak at home every time now, like it, it's rare for me to order steaks when I go out. Like when we do go to the, steakhouses aforementioned steakhouses will do like oysters and sides or something like that you know because i'm like i don't know if i actually want the meat like <laughs> we, we eat such yeah. amazing meat at home but right um i think i think the the proudest thing that is just so transferable is like how, how to just how to cook meat really well like how to grill a perfect steak and how to 
how to be able to do anything on the grill just by understanding basic principles and you know someone hands you a whole duck cool i got this so mm -hmm. i don't know i have to think about it nope. <laughs> now have you thought about um uh well the sca thing is getting pretty big and all that stuff yeah. and you know you're like the you know commander in beef i mean literally like have you thought about you know entering or even like having chris enter like any steak competitions or you just don't have time for chris that Chris doesn't cook i cook he's not allowed to touch my stuff so i'm like just stay out of the kitchen stay away from my grills thank you very much um i've done one sca competition once uh, i think they're super cool i did it at an ace hardware show where it was like an all-star because you know there were lots of different people representing different brands there and i think it was my first one i think i came seventh which is not bad for the first try but yeah very good i you know that's not how i eat my steak so i like i don't want cross hatches on my steak i want a crust on my steak so there's also something that's yep. a little bit it's very very difficult to reconcile and it's hard for people who don't understand the world of competitions to understand how barbecue competition barbecue food is not served outside of barbecue competitions it's same with SBA right. steaks but to me it's just there's something that just won't reconcile there in terms of like making food that is not what you would serve in your own home i'm very much a do it the way i serve it at home person no that makes sense yeah because yeah because i mean the steak with the crust on it is by far better than, you know, a steak with a couple lines on it, right. you know, more flavor, better texture. Yeah. It's not required for those competitions. They don't require the, the marks, but if they're there, they judge them on them. And, but just most people like the way they look. So they end up doing them. Right. Anyway. Mm -hmm. You talk about do, yeah. yeah, you talk about doing stuff the way we did at home in, uh, in December, we had one up here. We do one in August and one in December. Uh -huh. And, uh, so my, I, you know, and I, I try to do, I don't cook, I cook just the ones we have here. And so I was getting a bunch of different things and my son goes, dad, why don't you just cook steaks the way you do at home? Just salt and pepper and cook them on the grill. And I said, I can try that. I said, I don't think they're going to score very well just because they're, the judges are looking for a particular flavor profile or whatever. And he goes, can I do it? I said, sure. So we had two steaks. So I cooked one, um, with all the the things on it and he did one with uh just salt and pepper and he just put it on the grill he did the the old uh just keep flipping nice. it. you know he was just he was just flipping it and you know got up to temperature um he didn't do a great job trimming it so it didn't have a great appearance score um but it tasted great he didn't score very well but uh Sucks. he's like yeah maybe, maybe you need to do something different to it and i said that's just it, it's the judges in these have had hundreds of steaks that they've eaten um and so there's always like everybody's trying to put some sort of little distinguishing flavor to to make you stand out um but i'm with you like to me salt and pepper is all a good steak needs um and i don't order steaks in restaurants either we actually raise our own beef cattle awesome. here on our farm and so uh i don't use them for the restaurant because we use way more than we butcher but our own personal stash we have black angus beef cattle and uh they're fantastic and so we've always got a freezer full of steaks and all kinds of stuff and i don't i don't order steaks in a restaurant because i don't want to be disappointed yeah and it's, and it's very personal and i actually get upset 
So I, I do use, I like salt and pepper. I obviously use hardcore carnival black on the steaks. The biggest thing about that seasoning is it's very understated. And I think like most American seasonings that are built for steak are very not understated because it's like, if you're gonna put seasoning in your steak, be in your face. And I it irritates me to absolutely no end when you go to a steakhouse and it's rare for this to happen, excuse the pun, but <laughs> it's unusual when you come across a place that uses a very unusual seasoning blend. So it'll have garlic and onion and, and maybe a little bit of chili, maybe some dried herbs, just anything. If it has anything beyond salt and pepper, I want warning. Like I'm offended. I didn't want this seasoning on this steak. I like if I were a steak in a restaurant, unless it specifies on the menu, I expect it to be salt, pepper, and cooking technique is the focus, and the beef itself, obviously, the quality of the beef. Yeah. So it really annoys me when you get something that's super hyper seasoned with a variety of spices that you didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah, because now you're not even tasting the meat; you're just tasting seasoning. Yeah. You know, and you want to taste the meat first and seasoning second. Yeah. And when you think about SCA, it's like you said with the grill marks. Yes, that's not in the rules, but that's what's won. So now everyone just does it because they know that that's what judges look for. And it's the same. I don't know if it's just like the nature of food competitions and palate fatigue that you just have to do something like more. But yeah, it's just not how I like my steak. Well, I I did judge one of the competitions. So we we do a triple in December. We do a Friday night. And then a double on Saturday. And so I judged the Friday night steak. And uh, there were some very interesting flavors that came through. Um, some of them you just go, why did you put that on a steak? And I mean, some of them, a lot of them were very delicious. And But um, yeah, there were a few that uh, that just, I think they tried to stand out and they did, but on the wrong end of the spectrum. So. It's a risky run, right? Well, you have, you have people trying to be a, you know, meat scientists yeah. you know, at those state cook-offs and they're trying stuff and different, you know, seasoning methods, but different layering. And obviously the layers yeah. just don't work, you know? So, I mean, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. They're, they're with it too much. Now, Jess, um, your seasonings and stuff. Now, do you, I know you sell them. Um, do you sell them in bulk too? Do you sell them in, you know, 25 pound bags? Do you, or you just sell them in, um, I believe what, 16 ounce? Yeah, we have our shakers, and then we have a size mm-hmm. up from that that's called a mega pack. That's basically like a refill. It contains at least four of a shaker in there in a big wide mouth container, and then we have ten pound mm-hmm. bags. Um, and we definitely like offer food service rates. Like if you to to barbecue restaurants and and catering and stuff like that, they can sign up for a wholesale account. So because um, we. Certainly, especially with the black rub, have had a lot of people who, who like to use it. There's a guy in Colombia who imports it for his restaurant, which is kind of nice. Wow. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's just, it's it's crazy how, uh, you know, you, you develop a product and you just, you develop it because you think, you know, it's it's what you're looking for, but then, you know, it just catches on. And now you have like your, you know, your hardcore carnivore Facebook page and people are posting what they've cooked and stuff. And it's just, it must be just fantastic to see that. And, you know, what people come up with and, and what they put it on, um, you know, it's just it what it turns into. It is. And it's very personal. And the biggest pleasure for me is 
when someone invites it to their celebration table. So a prime rib for the holidays or, you know, someone bought a really nice cut for a birthday or, you know, any holiday meal. Every time someone shares with me that they've shared it with their family for a special occasion, it's so Mm -hmm. personal somehow that someone has allowed your product to be there with them and like be the flavor profile because food is memory, right? Of that event. Right. It's actually, it's, it's quite an honor. I'm going to get some of that black rub and I'll, I'll do our next uh, family get together. I'll put it on my brisket and we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Good deal. I definitely think if you're going to use it on brisket, I would always add extra salt and definitely coarse pepper because to get that proper Texas style. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I, I was watching your brisket video today as well. And I saw that the salt and pepper and then the, the black rub over top of yeah. it. So, but on steaks, I just uh... do the black rub. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. But man. Now, what is what what does it taste like? Like so, if you just t- if you just took a pinch out of the uh, out of the bottle. Good question. Two part answer. One, it's got all the classic spices. It's got coarse black pepper. It's got the garlic and the onion and a little bit of nuance. Like kind of you wouldn't even know they're in there. Kind of like earthy chilies. It's just to round out the flavor. But again, it's just mm-hmm. it's it's a hyper savory seasoning that's not in your face with like how many ingredients did they put in this thing but the charcoal itself which is what makes it black activated charcoal um it's so funny because it's odorless and flavorless it literally is just there for color it's meat cosmetics and Mm -hmm. you know they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery after i launched it and you know, I, I didn't know that there were other seasonings out there. There were one or two other black rubs that had been around for years and years and years. That's not the name of them. But um, I found out after I launched, but Hardcore Carnivore Black was definitely the one that made a splash in terms of getting it on people's radars. And I've seen so many launch since then. Uh, and interestingly, I see a lot of them also make a claim that it makes it taste like a grilled flavor, which I just think is, it's so funny to me because it is a flavorless, odorless product. Like, how are you going to tell people that it tastes like the grill? Are they not going to know the second that they open the bottle? But they'll forget like everybody else does. <laughs> yeah, right. So your other seasonings, um, you actually just came out with a new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying. I don't. It's sweet, sweet barbecue. Yes. What um, What presented that, and and how long did that take you to develop? So let me run you through the lineup real quick because it'll make sense. Black was the first one, okay. and then we yep. kept having people who were like, "We love the flavor on this, but it looks terrible on pork ribs. It just looked burned, right?" So we came out with red, which is nearly the exact same flavor profile, like the tiniest, tiniest bit of heat more. And the difference is the color. because it, it. But now reds are sort of more of an all-purpose. Then I came out with a, a really weird rub called, it's more of a dust called Amplifier that's made with chicken fat powder and soy and umami ingredients. And like mm-hmm. I use it on roast broccoli, popcorn, fry, sprinkle, it's, it's our weirdest seller in terms of like having to teach people how to use it. You can use it in like rib wrap rubs. You can add it to other seasonings, but it's like the redheaded stepchild because people don't immediately know what to do with it. 
Um, then I released a camo one because I got into hunting here in Texas, and that's a game and wild, uh, wild game and lamb. Then we came out with a chili lime that was co-branded with Lone Star Beer. Then we released Tex-Mex, which is our fajita and taco, which I probably used the most out of all of them. Uh, then we have a seasonal one, which is fried turkey, which is a jalapeno, sage, and garlic. Then, so yeah, so my point, and then we came out with jalapeno salt, and then we came out with sweet rub. So all this to say, I started releasing them in order of what I was missing in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, I usually use bread on barbecue, but then I would put a really sweet, like pork butts and ribs. I put a really sweet sauce on at the end. And it was sort of like, you know, a, a basic sweet barbecue rub for chicken and pork is like the foundation of a lot of barbecue rubs. And we had such a name now as Hardcore Carnival and people liking our version of things, not just like a one-off. Usually if you like our seasonings, seasonings, you'll like the whole line or most of the stuff in the line because it's the same person's palate that's coming up with all of them, right? So yeah. um, it was one of those things if I really wanted people to have the option of a sweet barbecue rub, our version. So if you're looking for something with a sweet profile for, for barbecue, you can use the Hardcore Carnival version, which tastes different to other things out there. Hmm, okay. And do you sell, do you sell, um, do you sell them in gift packs, you know, where you can buy the whole set? Yeah, we have a couple of different like combos. So we've got the whole set and then we've got like, two different three packs depending on what you're looking for and then we've got a four pack with four pack which is our core classic so there's a, heaps of stuff on the website and don't sleep on the disposable cutting boards like they are so underrated i use them all the time in my kitchen um it's really important for food safety as well a lot of the times those big boards mm -hmm. that we like to use if i if i had a commercial restaurant sized dishwasher it wouldn't be a problem um Right, but, so, but even off-site catering and stuff like that, they're very useful because, mm -hmm. you know, you you really you have the three basin, you know, the 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 bus bucket set up, the sanitizer, the hand wash station. But most of the time, your cutting boards are bigger than that, so you know yeah. it's a no-brainer. Like they're huge, hugely uh popular for that. I mean, yeah. I've used them a bunch of times and I love them. Good, you know, and well, and a lot of people as well use like a big showpiece wooden board at home and you know, those are really hard to clean and keep food safe. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different stuff on there. And, and I do have two different websites, of course, like that we're talking about the hardcore carnival website there. One links to the other, but if you want to see the merchant gear, it's at hardcore carnival. And if you want all the recipes and note to learn more about me, it's just jesspriles.com. So, um, there are people who use Hardcore Carnival who have no idea that I even exist, and I'm fine with that as long as they like the product. <laughs> um, but I am always surprised about the people who follow me who don't know that I have seasoning because I talk about it quite a bit. All right, so so your so um, your website's hardcorecarnivore.com um, for products, for recipes, and to get to know more about you, it's jesspriles.com. Mm -hmm. And then um, what's your you know your social media? Where can people find you on social media? So same, me, Jess Priles, at Jess Priles on everything, and then at Hardcore Carnival on everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We have them all. I'll find you on one of them. 
That makes it easy to uh, to find. <laughs> right. so, very cool. Yeah. Well, Just, thank you very much. Um, it was a great talking to you. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it was a blast talking to you, learning about you. So I don't want to, you know, we don't want to keep you for too long. No worries. So, this was super just fun. Say... And it was so nice to see you again, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. And nice to meet you, Dan. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. <laughs> thank you all. So we'll have to, uh... no, not a problem. We'll have to, uh, Try, we'll have to try and meet up in Texas at, at some point. You got it. We're, we're here. Y'all yeah. are welcome. We'll just add you to our list of uh, podcast guest visits. Everybody's like, oh, you got to come visit us. So we're going to have to go see you know, Junior out in West Texas and Jason in Arkansas and Kel in Georgia. We'll just add you to the list of people that will we'll go on this tour, Perfect. the Dan and Mike uh, podcast tour. <laughs> Barbecue happy hour cross-country tour. Right. Yeah, there we go. We just got to record remotely, and it'll be good. Sounds like a, sounds like a plan, Mike. <laughs> awesome, Jess. Again, thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. It was great to, great talking to you. Thank you. I really enjoyed that, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Awesome. Absolutely. All right, I'll see you on the online. Have a good night. All right. Have a good night. Definitely. Bye. Bye, Jess. Bye.